Hello, 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 welcome, welcome, hello everybody, hello and welcome, I'm Dan, your friendly fishmonger at dancefish.com, hope you're doing well, glad to have you here. Um, we do this every Wednesday at 7pm Mountain Time, that's 9 Eastern for those that are Mountain Challenged, glad you could join us. If you're watching on the replay, uh, hope you can make it live someday, but replays are alright, they're alright, we also have a podcast. Um, anywhere you listen to podcasts, the Dance Fish Podcast. So these live streams, if you can't, uh, you know, watch them on video. If you need something to listen to while you're at work, they're in podcast format as well. So that's how we can reach you. And all you lurkers, thanks for being here. I don't expect to hear from you. It's all good. <laughs> hey, we're starting off strong. Alexander Engelhart coming in with a $100 super chat. Just because Alexander's a great guy. I've, I've kind of always wondered... Alexander, why you did that? And then when I watched your your uh, interview on Rico Stan's channel, it, it became apparent. I was like, oh, makes sense. So thank you so much for the super chat. Thanks for your support of me and this channel and everything we do, but also the rest of the community when you, you know, support them as well. Yeah, your rationale for that, I was like, it clicked. I was like, okay, makes sense. So anyone that has not watched uh, Rico Stan's interview with Alexander and wants to know what makes this madman tick. Um, well, both of those mad men tick, I guess, then it's, it's worth a, it's worth a gander. Anyway, we're going to start with our shipping report and I better check. As far as I know, everything is doing well. I don't think there's any losses to report since, uh, this last week's shipment, but let me just double check here with Johnny. Johnny, would you chime in and make sure I'm right about that? But as far as I know, to this point today, earlier today, I didn't, know of any issues so I think we're good um, the the lady that is dealing with the problems with the pygmy corridoras that she got a, a couple weeks ago that's still ongoing unfortunately still have been able to figure out what's going on in the tank or what happened during shipping or what's going on with the fish so that's the only problem we've had in quite a while I'm sorry it happened to you uh, I want to just let that customer know we're with them um, well you know, wish we could get to the bottom of it, but this one's a mystery. I really don't. I wish I could help more. Really do. But since last week, um, since we talked to you last week, every fish we've shipped out has arrived alive and in good shape from what I understand. Johnny, all good besides the pygmy quarries. Yeah, and the pygmy quarries were from, you know, that was a, a previous report. So we're doing okay. Um, we have a cool giveaway tonight. So Iowa Aquatic Hobbyist Facebook group has been um, providing the giveaways for the entire month of May. Thanks to them, this is the last giveaway that they'll be providing. Oh, I've got to change something here real quick. With the debacle of the camera giving out last week, I hadn't yet brought up the little me in the corner. I mean, maybe it's better without that, but here it is. <laughs> anyway, um, the... Iowa Aquatic Hobbyist Month is closing out. Um, they've been gracious enough to provide the items for the giveaways for the entire month, and they're closing it out in style. The giveaway for today provided by the Iowa Aquatic Hobbyist uh, Facebook group is the L2 Tiger Pleco. These guys are really cool little plecos. Um, and by little, they, they get just around four inches, so they aren't gonna turn into the monsters. And I love these pictures that Aquarium Glasser did because you can literally see the tips of the odontodes. Did I say that right? I never say that right. 
the tips of the little spikes all over the skin. It looks like hair. That picture is so in focus. They did such a good job. You can do that with plecos because they sit still a lot of the time. A lot of other fish, good luck. <laughs> but anyway, the giveaway is for a group of these. And um, if you would like to enter to win a group of small, they max out at about four inches, um, L2 tiger plecos, then all you have to do is enter in hashtag in, in the comments, hashtag thanks IAH. That stands for thanks Iowa Aquatic Hobbyists, just to say thank you for their month-long generosity providing these giveaways. So hashtag T-H-A-N-K-S-I-A-H. Caps don't matter, but no spaces. No spaces at all. That's how you'll be entered to win some Tiger Plecos, which I think is a pretty cool thing to give away on the last giveaway uh, for the, this event. Um, it's pretty exciting. Some other folks have, 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 have wanted to join the madness, and so there'll be uh, the next two, the first two weeks of June, those giveaways are already slated. So um, we have some cool stuff coming up uh, first two weeks of June that folks are offering to the fish fam. And it's, it's such a pleasure to be the conduit <laughs> to get that stuff to you guys. I just love it when, to me, I, I know I've said this in the past, but to me it's a, a symptom of a healthy community, meaning a positive symptom, <laughs> when people step up and are like, hey, we want to do something for the community, or we want to do this, right? Um, just means that, that it's a fairly healthy community. Now, I know we have our little lovers spats and whatnot, but uh, in general, I think, uh, I think there's a great place to be. Been a, a member of a lot of other communities, and I guess one of the best compliments I can give the fish fam is it's it's the least dysfunctional <laughs> family I've been a part of. <laughs> I mean, that's sorry to my parents, but it's the least dysfunctional community, right, that, that I've been a part of. So I think we do pretty good. Um, Marvin's Lodge Garden says, how many plecos? Oh, geez. Um, I'm going to have to, okay, make sure I'm not accidentally sharing this. Don't want to out anyone. I have forgot. So, um... Let me see here. Oh, four. I had forgotten the number. Let me make sure that's right. Yeah, it's four. That's correct. Okay, I'm going to close that out. Ugh. I should I should have done that on my phone. Sometimes when I check things on email live, I accidentally share things that, you know, I shouldn't. <laughs> so I guess I should not have done that. Sorry. To Random Arms, who's our tech security guy. Won't happen again, just moment of weakness in the brain. Um, but four of them, so you'll get uh, you'll get four Tiger Plecos, which is a pretty cool giveaway. Um, something very exciting about the warehouse build. Um, no, they don't have all the parts for the micro-bubble remover or whatnot, but we've always known that we would need like a backup, that we would need a way to run the system that was apart from the creek water system. So we've always planned to have culinary water be part of that system. So if something ever happened with the river, with our, our source water, say some pesticides were dumped in the river upstream or, or a, a trucker flipped over on the road upstream and we had oil in the river or a bank washed out and there was a big sediment event or the, or the river dried up or whatever, right? If that stuff ever happened, we would need a way to still operate. And so we've been planning to do that, but what we were planning on doing is getting there, getting up and running, 
um, and uh, then putting in the redundancy because then that frees up capital for more inventory up front, right? But we've decided we're sick of waiting. So this week I've been working on placing that redundancy system um, and we made good progress. I got far enough along today that I was actually able to test a section of the system to make sure that it's actually going to work like we think it will. And it does, it works beautifully. So um, I think by the end of this week, I'll be able to have that thing pretty much up and running. Uh, maybe beginning of next week, but I think by the end of this week, I'll be able to have that up and running. Which means that we should be able to uh, operate in the warehouse by the end of next week, even if the micro bubble remover for the creek water system is not completed by that time. So it's nice to have an option and we'll get in there pretty quick. Excuse me, pretty quick now. Um, so that's a relief, right? It's nice to have some progress again. So that's coming along. Um, yeah, that's coming along nicely. In other news, this will be very brief. We, we only talk about fish here, but every now and then I let something from, from other parts of my life creep in. One of those parts of my life is entertainment. Um, for those that don't know, um, I was a theater professor in a past life. Um, I've worked in entertainment, produced entertainment, uh, done, done lots of live entertainment stuff um, as a previous career. In one of, one of the last projects I worked on was a musical called Romeo and Bernadette, which is hilarious comedy, which is right now having a New York run off Broadway. And the reviews have come in, and they're amazing. They love us. So just some happy news from the theater side of things. Um, the reviews are great. So not only do we like the show, but the critics like it too, and the audiences seem to be just lapping it up. So show's going well. So if, you, uh, if you're looking for a show, if you're in or around Broadway um, or can, you know, in that area and looking for a show, check out Romeo and Bernadette. I don't think you'll be disappointed and I'd love to hear what you thought about it. So anyway, we'll move back on to fish, but just something really cool that's happening in, a, in another part of my life. Um, all right, with that, I think we've covered... Oh, I guess, I guess this could be interesting to talk about. So something that happens every spring and every fall is we have to deal with velvet. Um, we don't deal with lots of issues here at Dance Fish. There's the way we take care of the fish and have the systems run and things. We have very few issues. In fact, Often we'll have several shipments in a row where everything goes really smooth. But every time spring and fall, there, there seems to be this big change um, where the municipal water supply alters things a lot. I think they put flocculants in the water or something to help keep sediment down and, and, and stuff and control the water quality during the runoff season, right? The, the snow's melting. We have a lot of runoff right now. Um, or in the fall, you start getting the rains and get all the stuff washing into the water supply. So they put all this stuff in there. And I know it's happening because in the tanks this time of year, things change a lot. Like whole new types of algae you don't see any other time of year just start blooming. 
Um, like this is the only time we get hair algae. It'll like, we won't have any. And then one day you'll look and there'll be a little bit on the back of the glass and you come back the next day and it's like two inches longer, right? And we almost never have hair algae, but it seems like twice a year we see that big sudden change. And one of the issues is um, we end up having to deal with velvet. So we have a good treatment option for it. Um, and it's, it's a very small percentage of the tanks that, that have, and I don't want to say like all our fish have velvet run away. It's not that, but it's just something that's been interesting to observe um, how when the municipality changes things in the water supply, how much it affects the aquariums and how much it affects the fish as well. So I'm not sure exactly what causes the velvet to want to have an outbreak twice a year. I don't know if it's uh, just the change in the water adds enough stress to the fish that, that they get it sometimes or what, but uh, it is something we're dealing with. Um, we're getting pretty good at treating velvet though. <laughs> I think, so yeah, I, again, I don't want to say it's like all the tanks. I think it's like six tanks that we have right now that have it, um, which for us is a huge amount, right? But it's what we're dealing with. So just, just an interesting observation that I've noticed here. I, I wonder if that happens for you guys. Um, I know during the spring and fall, a lot of municipalities alter their water. And I know I've heard Aquarius talk about it, but I wonder if there's any specific ailment that you guys notice your fish get um, during those times. So I'm, I'm curious to hear about that. If, if you have something to say about that, if you would uh, leave a comment to Dan's fish here in the chat. I, I'd love to hear what other folks have to deal with, <laughs> you know, for a couple weeks every year um, as the municipality alters its water treatment. Um, but that's that's about what we have going on here in our neck of the woods. Let's find out with the, what's going on with you guys. Uh, before we do that, though, I want to thank my moderators for being here, for doing what they do every week. Thanks for being here, folks. Really appreciate your help. And um, I missed, I think... I missed a super chat from Jay's B Snails and Fish, throwing down a $5 super chat. Thank you so much. Um, any comment on that? I don't see a comment. If I, if there was one, it won't let me see it, in which case I apologize. But otherwise, just thanks for the super chat. Always appreciated. Never required. But we are a startup company, so every penny that falls out of the computer screen does help at this stage of our business. Um, this is a really um, tricky time for any business when you're trying to make a major change in scale, um, there's, it's always risky to change, right? Um, and I'm happy to say that because of our amazing customer base, many of which are here watching, that we're doing fine. We're, we're able to cover the increased costs that uh, bringing the warehouse online is, that we've had to deal with from bringing the warehouse online so we're in this tricky situation where we have a lot of the expenses of running the warehouse because it's built to the point where there's some utilities and there's tax, you know, all, all the things, the garbage and, and all those things that go with running a building. Um, so we're dealing with that, but we haven't been able to take care of, take advantage of the warehouse yet and move in and, and expand our inventory and do more business. So um, happily though, we've been able to keep up with and cover um, those costs, even though we're still just in, in our current facilities. 
um, and uh, cover it just with operations, just with sales and being careful with our money and things like that. So that's good, but it's still a, it's a tricky time for a business because you know if sales drop or something, and and we can't keep up with those expenses while we're still in this smaller facility. Um, you know that gets really tricky. So. I'm happy to say though, uh, you guys have been awesome. Customer base has been awesome. Um, we're still selling a whole lot of fish and it's enough to cover those expenses even though we're not in the place yet, which bodes very well for um, <laughs> for being able to operate that building efficiently, I think. So it's it's a worry though. Um, anytime you make a big change like that, it's, it's like a knock on wood moment. All right, I'm gonna get to your questions and your comments now. First one I see is Ira Nelson, moving next month and trying to decide the best way to move my fish room. 10 tanks ranging from 10 gallons to 120 gal. Um, looking for tips, preserving the cycle as good as I can. Any thoughts? So, um, the only way, I, I don't know what kind of filters you're using. But in my case, I'm running like sponge filters is my biological filtration, right? So in my case, what I would do, and hopefully some of this will be relevant to what you're trying to do, but what I would do is I would pack up all the fish like I was going to ship them to myself and put them in a big, you know, styrofoam insulated box, just like I was shipping them. That, that's what I would do. Um, it would help to know how far the move is. Let's say you're moving, you can get there, like if I pack the fish today, that I'd be there tomorrow at this time. Let's say the whole process isn't gonna take more than 24 hours before you can get the fish out of the bags, right? Or, or even 48 hours. Um, what I would do is pack them up as if I was shipping them. But to maintain the cycle, I would take those sponge filters and I'd put them in buckets of water and um, I would put a, a USB uh, air, air pump on each I don't know you could probably fit four three to four um, large sponge filters in like a five gallon bucket maybe if you're using small filters maybe it's like six but for each bucket I would use enough air pumps to actually run each filter the reason is is that nitrifying bacteria die really quickly when they don't have access to fresh fresh oxygen. So nitrifying bacteria are oxygen hungry. They use a lot of oxygen. So if you cut the flow to those sponge filters, then you might get some oxygen on the outside of the sponge filter, but way deep inside, you're not gonna have enough water flow circulating through the sponge material to keep those populations you know, alive and, and, and well. So. If you don't do that, you can still move them and stuff. You'll get a lot of die off, but you'll get enough on the very outside of the sponge filter where it's still highly oxygenated to, uh, to get some bacteria carrying over, but a lot of it'll die. Um, but you know, if you took six sponge filters, put them in a bucket and just ran an air stone in the bucket to keep circulation, you would keep some of the bacteria alive. If you're running each filter as if it's in the tank, so they, they all have an air pump on them, um, then uh, you'll keep a lot of the bacteria alive. 
Now they're going to run out of food, but they can they can deal with that for 24 hours or whatever I would say. Um, so that's how I would do it. I would run them in buckets as if I was running them in a tank to keep them well oxygenated so that the um, populations are stable during the move. That's how I'd keep the cycle going. And then when I got to the new place, I would set up the, the tanks, fill them with water, let it gas off for, oh, I don't know, at least six hours or so so the water stabilizes. And then I'd put in some Seachem Prime or something like that and add the fish. Um, and add the, the filters as well. So I think that's probably the, the best way in a situation like that. I don't think it's very realistic to, you know, just drain the water and then leave two inches of water in the tank and move it and stuff. I mean, can that work? Sure. But I think it would be better to clean the tank fairly well so you aren't having a bunch of mulm and, and all that de decomposing and getting anaerobic and gross while you're moving. I, I not sterilize the tank, but I would, I'd clean it well. If you had gravel, I would vacuum it really well. Um, and in the new place, what I would count on is probably the sponge filters to introduce the new population of bacteria. I think it's unlikely that a stagnant layer of gravel on the bottom is going to maintain a very healthy nitrifying bacteria population without constant circulation through it and things like that. So I would count on the sponge filters. I wouldn't feed uh, very heavily at all for the first two weeks. Um, maybe a little bit of food every other day or so. I would check ammonia like crazy until you knew that um, things were, were going okay. So I think that's how I would do it, Ira. Now, is that the best way to do it? I don't know. Is that the only way to do it? Definitely not. But that's how I would do it, I think, if I was having to move lots of my tanks somewhere. Bex Fish Room. Hey, Bex, good to see you. Dan, Pygmy Corridors are colony breeding. Went from the original seven I brought to you to 30th, 30 fish last I checked. Bex, that makes me happy. Goal to you. That's great. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, we've... Um, I mean, we sold a lot and a lot of pygmy quarries, and it's really just this, this one customer struggling. And I'm not sure why, because the batch is doing great for us, and it's done great for everyone else we've sold fish from that batch too. So um, what I, th I think one of two things is happening. Either something happened, dur happened during shipping that is crazy, like the box got set in a sunny window in the, warehouse, the UPS warehouse or something, just got too hot something like that or there's something going on in that tank that we can't quite identify so it's a mystery but it's great to hear that yours are doing good and breeding like crazy for you that's awesome Kaylor's aquatics and exotics cracking me up with a pippy longstocking cheerleader i i know that's not actually what it is but but th that's what i call this thing because that's what it reminds me of <laughs> thank you bob Great to have you here. Um, thanks for the super chat. I always feel like I should pay you and the other mods. It's always, uh, it's like you guys volunteer your time. You're, you're doing stuff for us, right? I, I feel like I should be paying you for your work, but instead you pay me to work for me. What a, what a deal. <laughs> anyway, thanks, Bob. I really appreciate it. JB, snails and fish, all one big family, right? 
I would like to put my mystery snails up for next month's giveaway. Hey, that sounds awesome. JB Snails and Fish, would you send us an email? Hello at dancefish.com. That's H-E-L-L-O at dancefish.com. Um, let us know the details and, and we can uh, see about getting that scheduled. All right, the next one I can see is Skipper. Hey, Skipper, good to see you. It says, sorry I'm late. There are no excuses for tardiness, Skipper. Off to the principal's office with you. <laughs> no, of course. A Skipper is never late. He arrives precisely when he means to. Okay, chat jumped, so hold on, folks. I've got to catch up here. There it is. Hey, I, I could actually do it. Often it jumps and I can't see it. Uh, Carmos Creations, received the Rainbow Shiners and they came in great shape. What are you feeding them? Mine seem to be a bit picky with food so far. Uh, what would you recommend for tank mates? So Carmo, um, Rainbow Shiners are a pretty skittish fish for the first while. Um, if, if you haven't had them for at least a week yet, then I'm not surprised that they're skittish because um, it's not that they won't eat the food. I, well, we'll talk about the food in a second, but I doubt that they won't eat the food. They eat everything. But they're probably just not comfortable yet coming out in the open and eating. But give them a week or so, maybe even less, and, uh, and they'll probably get really comfortable. Also, if it's a bare-bottom tank or, or a new tank that's highly reflective and all that, and you don't have algae growing at all on the – you don't know that patina on the, on the sides yet, or if the bottom's a bare-bottom tank, it's going to take them longer to settle in um, just because that'll be a little strange for them. Um, but once they settle in, they should come out and they should eat really well. And we feed them everything. We feed them a wide variety. Um, extreme nano pellets, extreme krill flakes, uh, Zoomed, uh, spirulina flake. Um, they'll eat algae wafers. They'll eat um, like massivore delight pellets, which are just a big sinking carnivore pellet that they pick at. Um, they'll eat, geez, frozen food they'll eat live food i i can't think of a food that they wouldn't eat maybe zucchini i don't know if they would nip at zucchini or not but i can't think of like a normal fish food that, that they wouldn't eat so we feed them a wide wide variety and they eat it all they just need to settle in a bit um let me know though if, if a week goes by and and you're still having issues carmos um please feel free to send us an email hello at dancefish.com and we can walk you through some things or try to figure out what's going on. But I bet you they'll calm down pretty quick here. Ira Nelson, sponge, uh, has sponges, hang on backs, and canisters. Um, canisters, you could, these are a little tougher, but you could get a bucket of some sort, uh, put water in it. Now, you know, not chlorinated water or anything, like clean tank water and just run the filter on a uh, like cigarette lighter, power adapter, or whatever, um, while you're going on your trip to keep the canister filters uh, populations fresh. Canister filter bacteria populations die pretty darn quick when the canister's not running because um, oxygen levels in that kind of closed environment fall really quickly. So that's the best way I could think of. I guess the other way is you could open up the canister filters um, take out the biological media, put it in a five-gallon bucket, and just aerate it really well um, during your trip. Hang on back, same thing. Take out the biological 
media and aerate it really well while you're on your trip. Um, Cause I can't think of a good way to like run a hang on back during the trip. So that's probably the best way to do the hang on backs and the canisters, remove the biological media and keep it as oxygen rich as you can during your drive. Um, again, that's uh, folks here, anyone moved, you know, with fish and have, have uh, ideas. Let's, let's crowd, let's hive mind this crowdsource these answers for Ira because there might be better answers, but that's the best I can think of. That's how I would approach it. Freshwater dreaming. I want to start off selling red root floater and duckweed. No one around carries it, so I have no clue how to portion or price it. Suggestions. Oh, freshwater dreaming, I, lo I know like nothing about plants, um, so I won't be much help. I guess one way to price it would be to put it on Aquabid or eBay as an auction. Um, decide what portion you want to sell. What can you easily ship, right? Portion that out, put it up for auction. Do a few of those and that might tell you what market price is. You know, people will tend to bid up to the market price and stop. And if you get three, four, five auctions, that's enough of a sample for you to kind of decide. If you only do one, you're not going to know if that was a just a crazy low auction or a crazy high auction or whatever. I think you need at least three points of data to kind of see if there's an outlier to remove or not. Um, but that, that might be one way to do it is let the market decide and tell you. All right, scroll in here. Chat jumped big time. So just a moment, folks while I look for another question or comment to respond to. Mountaintop Puffer Keeper, good to hear from you. 100 pal palustris fry on baby brine shrimp as of Monday. So your puffers spawned again, that's awesome. For those that don't know this fish, pal palustris is a really cool kind of, uh, I know, do you call them potatoes? <laughs> Sit and wait puffer. Um, these guys. Just a really, really cool, um, look at that, there's some fry, awesome. Oh wait, that's probably your picture, huh? Is that you, Mount Top Puffer Keeper? Is that your picture? I wouldn't be surprised if it was. But it's it's a really cool sit and wait predator. Um, I guess these images are kind of all over the place. Um, so let's, how can we do, oh, you'll have to Google it. <laughs> This is one where like lots of stuff popped up and, and not all of it is the right fish. So I don't want to give people the wrong idea. But anyway, spawning and raising puffer fry is a great accomplishment. I think that's awesome. Griddle worm culture arrived today, Daphne tomorrow, and the 29th gets me 42 times around the sun. <laughs> Happy birthday. Great week to plan my next dance fish order. Hey, Mountaintop, congratulations. Um, I'm still, I'm still old. Oh, wait. I'm still showing this screen. I'm still older than you, so I win. <laughs> anyway, congrats on that. Sounds awesome. By the way, Masai, uh, what is it? Uh, M-A-S-I is the name of the fish club. Um, they have these amazing talks at their club that they'll put on YouTube. One of them was from um, Mike Helwig. I think I'm saying that right, who wrote the book on culturing live food. I have his book. I've had it for years. It's great. And he has a, a good section in that talk on culturing uh, grindle worms, which, uh, you know, might be worth checking out. So if you check out Masai, M-A-S-I, 
Aquarium Club's uh, videos, you might be able to check that out. It might be useful. I was listening to Mike's lecture the other day, and I picked up some new tidbits that I hadn't realized before. Um, what was the main one? Oh, shoot. I have camera brain. Oh, it was feeding Daphnia cultures and rotifer cultures and all that. Um, in, in Mike's book, um, there is a section where he talks about these powdered algaes and yeasts and, and making this mix um, to feed your Daphne and stuff. But he's found a new product that uh, works really well and is super easy. So there's been some up in, in his presentation, there's some updates from the book which uh, will make life easier. Orange cones. I'm just glad my task is not delaying warehouse opening. Yes, yes. <laughs> you did great, orange cones. Anytime I need someone's kneecaps broken, I'm going to call orange cones. Orange cones get stuff done. <laughs> I mean, it might take, let's be fair, it might take 460 something days, but gets it done. <laughs> Thanks again, the orange cones. No, it, it, sincerely, I really appreciate your help and us acquire that equipment we thanks for taking the time and making that happen we've got so much on our plates that it was just going to slip through the cracks there was there was no way we could have kept up with it so thanks for stepping in again another sign of a healthy community folks just volunteering and helping out i think that's awesome freshwater dreaming holy old man reference pippy longstocking yeah like i'm older than mountaintop puffer keeper what can i say <laughs> <laughs> I remember her. Do they remember her? Pepper Ridge Farms remembers. All right. Yeah. Pippi Longstocking, man. That was a favorite growing up. Ira Nelson. I've recently heard about quarry cats having a poison gland near their dorsal fin that causes, that has a chance to rupture in shipping. Is truth in this? Kind of. They do have, let me show you. It's an auxiliary gland. Let's see if I can show it to you. Um, so, yes, it's not by their dorsal, though. It is... Uh, so let's show you this. So here's a Corydora, right? Here, on their pectoral fin, right next to it... See this pectoral fin? See that? That's an auxiliary poison gland. See this? this or duct. This is the actual gland. This is where the poison is, is stored before release. So it's right here, down by the, uh, the uh, did I say pelvic? Pectoral fin. Right? Pectoral? Yeah. And um, so it, it's true. Now, it's, if you notice, though, it's just this gland next to the fin. It's not a gland like a. It's not like a snake where they have this hollow tube in their fin, and if they poke you, the poison is injected into you or nothing or anything. It's not like that. What happens is they'll release it in kind of like a cloud out of this gland, and it'll passively um, get into the environment right around them. So um, imagine if you're a quarry, and a fish tries to eat you you're gonna spine out right away, right? You're gonna flip those fins out, get those spines out, and you'll probably lodge into the predator's mouth. And if you then, 
eject from your armpit, basically. <laughs> eject this toxic substance. We're not talking about my armpit, people. We're talking about Corey's, okay? <laughs> you can't smell me. Anyway, if you've poked a hole in this predator's mouth, right, or, or at the beginning of their throat, and then you release this irritating kind of toxic substance, um, your odds are maybe okay that the predator will, you know, spit you out. So I think that's think that's probably how that has come about and maybe in another couple million years they will have some fang like duct through their fin where it's actually injected into the predator or something like that but for now it's kind of this passive toxin release mechanism so yes th this is true as far as rupturing it's i don't think it's that it ruptures i think that the toxin is ejected from the gland not that the gland like explodes but yes corridors definitely have toxin Adam Lash, I see you have two strains of half-beaks on your website. Can you please speak a little bit about the difference between the two? I have a heavily planted 40 breeder that they'll look good in. Sure. So they're the same species. Um, one is a color morph that has been developed in, in aquariums, and the other is the wild type. So... If you look at wrestling half-beaks, the, the wild type, they look a lot like this. A brownish, maybe silverish, tannish fish with some red in the fins. Um, not super colorful or anything, but a really cool fish. And by the way, this is a male because see how the tail, the uh, anal fin here is kind of compact up to the body. And uh, see if I can show you a female. Oh, I'm not showing you any of that. Sorry, I didn't realize. So here we go. Now you can see it. Um, this is a, a regular um, wrestling half beak. Some red on the fins. Cool beak structure. They're really neat. They don't move their bottom jaws like most animals. They move the top jaw. This thing flips open and grabs stuff. This bottom jaw is, is stiff. It doesn't move. So it's perfect for cruising around and snatching insects off the top of the water. Um, here's a good shot of some, too. Anyway, let's try to show you. So this is a male. Hang on, i got to go back. I, there we go. This is a male. See how the anal fin is kind of compact up next to it? Um, and you can kind of see it's, it's breeding um, the, the folds that it breeds the female with right here. This is probably female because the anal fin is more fan-shaped. There we go. This is a female. See how it's fan-shaped from the beginning, whereas the male is compact, and then it comes down. Female, male. Anyway, that's here's another shot. Um, so th that's the wild type coloration. If you went and collected these in the wild, that's what you would see. But in aquariums, they've developed a, uh, a metallic form, which is this. So same kind of coloration on the fins, but the body is a platinum or a silver or a gold or a copper or a bronze. It's metallic. It can kind of vary based on conditions. So see how metallic this looks? In fact, um, let me show you my screensaver. My, my desktop, this is, this is a picture of one of mine that I took the other day. Um, you can clearly see how metallic that fish is, right? So that's the difference. Um, they're both the same species. One has bred, been bred in captivity to be a metallic morph, and the other is the, the normal uh, wild color. Both are really hardy. Both are really neat. 
One's metallic, one is not. Oh, chat jump, just a moment. We're getting there. We're getting there. Hey, I missed a super chat from Only Oscars. Thanks, Only Oscars. Thanks for being here. Thanks for throwing money at us. We appreciate it. And uh, Only Oscars says, hello, everyone. So everyone say hello back to Only Oscars. All right. Killers Aquatics and Exotics reminding everyone to highlight comments for Dan. Please use at Dan's Fish or hashtag Dan's Fish or Dan's Fish at least, right? That way it turns bright orange for me so I can find it more easily. Ryan Hoke. Going to try my hand at breeding CPDs for the first time. Any tricks? Um, yeah. Um, Rick May. Rick, if you are here, would you gar guide uh, Ryan through the process? Um, basically, um, Rick is the breeder I get my, my CPDs from. And it's, it's super, super simple. You breed them like Danios. Um, there's been a few videos people have made of, of the basic idea. Or like cherry barbs or any of those scatterers. Um, if you take a little container, a little plastic container, put a layer of marbles in it. This is how Rick does it. Then put some, um, like, uh, needlepoint canvas. If you go to your uh, local craft store and say, I need the stuff people do needlepoint in that plastic mesh. It's called needlepoint canvas. Cut a piece out that sits on top of the marbles. And then put a piece of java moss uh, on top of that canvas. And... The, they'll go there, especially if it's like a bare bottom tank and there are not many other options. They'll go to that spot, they'll lay their eggs over the plants, the eggs will fall through the java moss, through the mesh, into the marbles where the fish can't reach them. And uh, whenever you want, you take the container out and you, you let the eggs incubate and raise the fry. So that's the basic process. Um, when I've done it, I haven't used the plastic mesh, I've just used a, a quite thick layer of marbles, like three, four marbles deep so the fish couldn't get down in there. If it's just one layer deep, they can get down in. But thinking about it, with a fish as small as a CPD, the plastic mesh might be nice. I could see a little CPD getting down in marbles and getting stuck. So that's the easy part. Um, the, the harder part is, with fish like that, um, learning to feed tiny fish, because the fry are going to be really small. So you can use powdered foods and things like that. I would highly recommend green water or infusoria or rotifers. Um, some really small live food, smaller than baby brine shrimp. Um, you might be able to use microworms or vinegar eels, but I, for really small stuff, I like to go with like keeping like a green water soup with some infusoria in it for the first few days. Um, the trick with raising any baby fish is how do you keep food in front of it without making the water toxic, right? More food equals more waste, more decay, more ammonia, more yuckies right in the in the water where the fish are so you have to figure out how to feed the little babies a lot and how to keep the water clean so that usually means frequent feedies feedings multiple times a day with frequent water changes multiple times a day before each feeding uh, you know 90 percent 100 percent water changes almost so um, when you do change the water though i want to stress this use clean gassed off stable water that's that's the best way to do it I guess you could use water from the parent's tank as well if, if it's good quality. So good luck to you. I hope they do well. Um, beautiful little fish. Little tiny brook trout. Leo 209 Aquatics. 209. Is that California? Like wine country? Amador County? 
Leo, did I did I get that? <laughs> I grew up in El Dorado County, so. Placing an order this weekend for three Black Tiger Daria. I want to get some Koi's for my 40 breeder. Which one do you recommend? I don't know what else you have in the tank, but with Black Tiger Dario, you could honestly do pretty much any quarry. I'd probably recommend Pygmy Quarries, just because the Darios are going to be small, little tiny quarries with them. It'll be really cute. But uh, I can't think of a quarry door that is so it's vicious as, and is going to harm like a Black Tiger Dario. So they'd be fine with anything, but Pygmies, I think, could just be the natural choice. Now, that's my preference. I mean, <laughs> you do you. I hate, I'd hate to be responsible for you being like, okay, trying my preference, and then be like, wait, I hate Dan's preferences. <laughs> G-Bear, what is that amazing silverfish with black stripes behind you? Is it rare? <laughs> okay, are we talking about the algae eater? <laughs> the Siamese algae eater? <laughs> This isn't highlighted salty potatoes, but I happen to see it here, so I'm going to answer it. I've had eight Habrosis quarries in my tank for about a month or two, but they still don't seem comfortable. They swim away when I get even a little close. Anyone know how I can get them to be more confident? So this might seem counterintuitive, but the more cover they have, the more confident they'll be. So if you take like half the tank and uh, put a layer of java moss over half the tank then it's likely that after a couple weeks they start coming out on the other side of the tank more because they're more comfortable so that's that's one thing you can do it doesn't have to be java moss but that's an option um, so more cover usually equals bolder fish more comfortable fish another thing you can do is get some dither fish in there um, with Habrosis, something like some Darios, something like um, some Pseudomugils, um, Rasboras, Pencilfish, um, Chili Rasboras specifically I'm thinking of, Dwarf Amber Barbs, um, stuff like that. Small fish that are kind of out and about will, if when they see those swimming above them out and about, they'll be like, oh, there's no predators because the other fish are out, so we can come out too. So that, that helps as well. Um, but it could also be like, what's the location of, of the tank? Is it got like sunlight beating on it? Is it next to a speaker and the, the sound is just jarring the fish all the time? Anytime you've got music playing, um, there can be environmental things as well that could be startling them. Jeff's Aquatics. Hey Dan, my birthday is coming. Are you going to get any L236? I sure hope so, Jeff. The only thing we're waiting on for that is to get the warehouse up and running so we can get a big... So when I order the L236, I get them from a, an aquarium breeder overseas. And um, in order to import that lot, I have to order a lot of fish. And typically what I've done in the past is I'll do a big order, um, we'll sell over the... Like, we'll, we'll have real high sales for a month, and then they'll kind of trickle off for the next month as we get the tail end of that order sold. Man, I need to drink. I, I feel the hiccups coming on. <laughs> that could get awkward. <laughs> All right. Um, so 
then sell that off over the course of a couple months, then I have enough room to do another big order. With the warehouse about to come online and us moving to that new facility, I've been avoiding that. Um, I've been just doing a small, buying a small group of fish here and there just to kind of keep stock up instead of doing that whole cycle. Because I've thought at any moment we could be ready to move over. We've hit some delays. There's some manufacturing delays on some equipment we need. Um, it's, it's just been a little unpredictable. So until things are predictable, which means the warehouse is up and running and we can get fish in it, then I can do, um, we'll be out of that kind of transition phase pretty quickly and then I can do that order again. So yes, I do plan to get some L236s, some 236 Super Whites, some, um, all, all the fish that, you know, I'm out of, I, I plan to get most of those again. So unfortunately the timeline is, um, well, I, I honestly think that I'll be up and running enough to place that order next week. However, that order could take a week to arrive from the time I order it, or it could take a month. Um, it depends on flight schedules. It depends on shutdowns in that country. It depends on... There's lots of weird stuff that's been going on for the last couple of years with imports, and everything's kind of like, well, I'm going to order it now, and... Hope it doesn't take six months to get here, right? So, uh, but I, I, I don't feel comfortable placing the order until I know things are operational and up and running in the new fish warehouse. As soon as it is, I'll place the order. And within a month, I think it would arrive. Probably doesn't work for your birthday, sorry, but happy birthday nonetheless. ST Aquatics 55 gallon tank setup is three years old with two BR barbs. Hang on, what's a BR barb? pH keeps crashing to six fish are healthy and spawning. Water change will bring pH up to 6.6, then drops again. Would you leave it a bit? Oh, sorry. I forgot to turn off my phone. Um, hang on, folks. I've got to turn off my ringer. Will let me do that? No. Just, just a moment. Bad host. Bad host. Live stream faux pas. Okay, there we go. Muted the ringer. Sorry about that. I don't know what BR barbs are. Um, if you could clarify what a BR barb is, but I, I, I know what's happening with the pH dropping. Um, it, it means you need some buffering in your water. So it sounds like you're doing water changes and things, but the pH keeps dropping. So I'm, I'm guessing that the buffering capacity of your water is almost non-existent. So maybe check your water source. If it doesn't have any hardness reading or has very little calcium carbonate hardness, that's the one I would look for, um, then you might need to add some. You might need to add some crushed coral, or when you do the water changes, you might need to add some like uh, cichlid water mix, you know, those salts and minerals they, they use for salt, uh, for Rift Lake cichlids, something like that in there to bring the, the hardness up. Um, but it, it's basically... Um, calcium carbonate and your, uh, oh, what's the other one? Magnesium that is going to be lacking. And calcium carbonate is, is the big one for buffering the pH changes. So that's what I think is going on. Now, some fish really like soft acidic water, and that might be triggering the spawning. But not having a stable pH, that can be a problem. Now, 
if it's stable at six points, no, and then it drops again. Yeah, it, so the water going in there is, is, I'm assuming, pretty acidic. Now, I guess there's another option, like, I don't know, maybe a battery dropped in the tank and is leaching acid or something weird like that, but those would be very strange situations. So I'm, I'm guessing that your source water is just really, really soft with no buffering capacity and that you need to add buffering capacity. What's a BR barb though? Leo 209 Aquatic speaking about the black tiger. You think you got males and females? Um, no, I think I only have males. Now, there might be some females in there, but what typically happens is I'll think something's a female, and then once all the males are gone, some of those females end up coloring up. Because it turns out they weren't females, they were just subdominant uh, males. So it's really hard to know if you have females, but I would be very surprised if I did. So I definitely can't sell females. Um, but if one happens to be female, that's just super lucky. Wish I could. I wish I could get female Scarlet Battis and female uh, Black Tiger Darios for sure. But I'm jealous of anyone that can. I haven't seen an, a sure female like for a long time. The Desert Shadow saying hello to everyone. Well, hello right back. On behalf of everyone, hello, The Desert Shadow. Mountaintop Puffer Keeper. But that was quite the run in my 20s. 42 on paper. 52 on wear and tear. <laughs> I will watch that mass I talk with Mike. Your recommendation of his foods book is the most valuable advice I've received. It's a good book. Yeah. There's another one I used to have from like way back when um but i'm glad mike wrote one because the one from way back when i might have been like the 60s or 70s um just the terminology and the things people use in their kitchens and the kinds of containers people have available and things have all changed a lot since since that old book was written i think it was called the encyclopedia of, of live foods it's been out of print forever uh, but i bet jim forche at the aquatic bookshop can get it so if you're in the market, seahorses.com, check it out. Um, but yeah, so I'm really glad that Mike wrote the updated one because you read it and it just makes sense. <laughs> okay, I am scrolling up because chat jumped again, which means I'm way far behind. Whew. We get that way here, though. All right. Going to wet my whistle. Cheers, everyone. Hope you're having a wonderful evening. Thanks for being here, folks. We have 253 people here. That ain't bad. If you wouldn't mind while I'm wetting my whistle, just taking a moment and sharing this out to all your ex-lovers. Um, so you can get some more folks in here. That'd be fun. <laughs> of course, I said that and it dropped. Always. Whenever I like look at the viewership, it's like, oh, run away, and it drops. Carmo's Creations. Thank you for the support and information about the food you free feed the shinos, shiners. Those are rainbow shiners we're talking about. What tank makes... <laughs> I can't, what, I've butchered four words in this sentence, in this comment so far. What tank mates would you recommend for them? Diction, Dan. Diction. Um, let's see. First of all, thank you for the support. A anyone that orders, like, is... It's huge support. Or spreads the word, tells their friends that, you know, if you want fish that don't die, get them from us. Stuff like that. It's, it's very, very helpful. 
Um, but with those, so those are not peace, are, are not, those are peaceful. You don't have aggression issues with the rainbow shiners in general. But they are highly energetic, and once they do get, get comfortable and start feeding for you, they'll be very quick to the food. So you can keep anything with them, pretty much, that is of a suitable size and won't be outcompeted for food. If you put like a betta in there, um, that's a slow eater, right? And it probably isn't going to get enough food before the rainbow shiners polish off every morsel. Um, Corydoras, same thing. Corydoras need a lot of time with the food. The way I feed Corydoras in tanks with rainbow shiners and things is I feed them at night after the lights go off. So they can usually get to the food that way because Corys will eat at night. You know, they'll sense it with their feelers and they'll smell it in the water and go eat it when other fish are sleeping. So you can do things like that. But that's, that's the trick. Rainbow shiners are fast active fish and they're quick to the food. So something that won't be bothered by fast active fish and will get enough food, that's pretty much the limitation. Now, rainbow shiners, uh, you might say, want cold temperatures and all that. Kind of. I mean, there's lots of them being bred in Indonesia these days. Um, they can take it up to 82 degrees or so if, the, if it's well oxygenated and clean. Um, during the summer, the, the waters they come from can get a little warmer. But if you want them to breed, you are going to need a cool down period and then warm them back up. Then they'll get their best colors and get their spawning dress on and things. Um, so if you want to experience all that, then you're going to need to find something that can deal with the activity, deal with the quickness to the food, and take a cool down period. Um, but those are kind of the limiting, the limiting factors, Carmos. Peeps Lost Sheep. How many chili rasboras would you recommend for a 75 gallon? I have a 60 in there and it still seems pretty bare. Yeah, I hear you. Um, well, when I put 200 in a 75 gallon, it starts to feel about right, honestly. It doesn't feel crowded. There's still a lot of negative space. They're small fish. They'll go over kind of together. You'll usually get a school on this side and then a little rebel batch on the other side and a couple browsing in between. So honestly, I don't think, I don't think 200 is too many for a 75 gallon. Um, but you have to do good maintenance if you have that many in there. But they're happy. They like to be in a group. They like to kind of group up together nice and tight. And they aren't swimming around frantically. They're a fish that kind of gradually goes around and explores things and picks stuff off the floor and off the plants and all that. Um, so they're not a fish that's like a fast swimmer that needs all that swimming room. Um, I, honestly, when I put 200 in a 75, it feels like that tank is done. Like that that's good. But... Um, I don't know, maybe do uh, 150 and then you got some room for some other fish with them if you want, I don't know, some pygmy quarries on the bottom and some half beaks up top or something like that to, you know, mix it up. But 200 uh, chili rasboras in a 75 gallon is a beautiful sight and I don't think that it's too crowded for them. I don't think they mind at all. In fact, I think the more the merrier as far as they're concerned. Um, forest. Key Kendall. Hey, Forrest, good to see you. Woo, that's a very generous super chat, Forrest. Thank you so much. Hey, Dan, I haven't heard you mispronounce my name in a while. <laughs> Kai Kendall. Key Kendall. Kikendall. <laughs> Forrest, that's hilarious. 
Hey, Dan, I haven't heard you mispronounce my name in a while. I guess it's Black Ruby Barb. Good. I, I think that's a good guess. Beautiful fish. I regret not buying the one time I saw it in an LS, LFS. That is one of my favorites. Um, that is an absolutely beautiful fish. Not at the LFS, but when you get them home and they get comfortable and they've grown in a bit, absolutely stunning. Yep. So uh, thanks for the super chat. That's so generous of you, Forrest. Um, happy to mispronounce your name for you. And uh, I think you're right. Black Ruby Barb. Sounds right. Kelly Foreman, I've got summer tubbin fever. I've got cowbell fever. <laughs> what kind of fish do you like in a summer tub? I've got 20 gallons and 200 gallons to fill up. So I have two requirements for a summer tub. One is that the fish do well in tubs, right? And be able to have wide temperature swings. And let's say that you have a sponge filter on it and that that goes out because it's outside and, and a rat chewed through the cord. I don't know. Things can happen outside that don't happen inside. I also like to have a fish that can uh, survive that. So if it went a day without air bubbling, that it would still be okay. So given those options, some of my favorites are rice fish, especially Miyuki's because from the top down, they look splendid. They can take a wide range of temperature swings. They're very hardy. Um, I really like albino paradise fish because again, from the top down, you can clearly see them. A lot of fish disappear from the top down because they don't want birds to eat them. So fish in the wild have a color scheme that from the top down, they're hard to see. From the side, they might be gorgeous, but if you're looking down on them, hard to see, kind of brown, maybe black up top. Um, that's just to keep them from getting eaten by all the predators. So the rice fish, they've taken that wild fish and made all these colors out of it. The paradise fish, you get the albino form. It's nice and bright when you're looking down on it. Um, there's a lot of platies and things like that that are neat colors that pop when you're looking down on them from the top. I really, my, my favorite is the um, neon yellow calico platy just because it's bright yellow, you get the contrast of the black spotting and patterning on it, and it's neon, it's bright iridescent as well. So that, that's my favorite. But there's lots of neat like platies and things that from the top down look great. Um, oh, I had another one. Rice fish, paradise fish. Oh, c'est me fouet, I forgot it. Um, but anyway, that's what I look for. Hardy fish that can survive in a pond for a while if something went wrong with the filtration or aeration or whatever. Can take a wide range of temperatures and looks good from the top down. So those are kind of my, my gut reactions to that. Dang it, what was the other fish? Oh, white clouds and the gold morph. Because from the top, you can clearly see the gold morph in a pond. The regular white clouds, they're cool too. They'll live, they'll spawn, it'll be great, but you won't see them very much. Um, some of the neon rosy barbs would be good. Some of the, the gold barbs might be nice. You know, that, that's kind of where I run in my head with that. Thanks to Kaler's Aquatics and Exotics posting our Instagram channel. We do have a lot of stuff there. Um, the warehouse build was, was documented pretty darn well on Instagram if you want to see some details about us building our new fish store. 
So who wants Farawella from my grow-out tanks? Asked Orange Cones. I do. I will literally buy them all if you'll ship them to me. I would love to be able to uh, provide hobbyist-bred Farawellas um, at dancefish.com. That would be amazing. Rachel Irwin, can you go over the care of Burmese clouded archers? How big do they get? They get this big. Um, I'm going to say... Okay, so I've read all kinds of sizing on them. But it's the internet. I think that they're basing that off faulty information a lot. You'll read that they can get... I think I've read 12 inches. Um, you'll read 8 inches. You'll read all that. I've had these for a long time. I think they're about full grown. And the biggest ones are five to six inches. Now, might they gradually over their life get a little more size on them? Yeah, but they're in a, a big tank. They get a massive water change every night. They have good filtration and they eat a ton. So I think they're, uh, that's as big as I've ever seen them. I've never seen them get as big as some of the internet sites claim. So that's, to the best of my knowledge, the biggest I've seen them. I could be wrong, but that's the biggest I've seen them. Um, as far as care, um, get groups because they are a social fish, but they have a definite hierarchy. And so you want a fairly good-sized group so you don't get anyone getting hammered. Um, the more fish you have, the more aggression spread out, and one fish is not picked on continually. If you have a small group, or just a two or something like that, even three, um, you can have a fish get targeted and that can be an issue. So I get a group. I would, honestly, I find them to be rock solid, easy to keep, easy to feed, they eat everything. Um, once they're through the rigors of import, no one is breeding these um, in aquariums. All the clouded Burmese archer fish uh, that we have as far as I know, I hope someone could tell me I'm wrong because I'd love it if they were being raised on a farm somewhere, but all of them, as far as I know, are collected from their natural habitat. It's a rigorous process. They come from a place that's pretty far flung and difficult to get to. Um, you can't just, you know, fly to the local airport, take a taxi over, collect them and fly them out. You, from what I understand, you have to like hike out there and stuff. Um, so it's pretty rigorous. When they come in from import, often they need special care. They've been through the sausage grinder that can be this supply chain. And uh, if you get them fresh from import, you might have problems. So I'd say the best thing to do to be successful with um, Burmese clouded archers is get them fine stock that has been um, acclimated, is used to aquarium life, has gained back the weight that was lost during the import process and all that. If you're getting fresh imports um, and you're not used to handling fresh imports and s s fish that have just gone through all that, then it's gonna be difficult. So my, my best advice is get them from that kind of a source. And it doesn't have to be me. Um, we definitely do do that, but it doesn't have to be me. Just wherever you get them from, make sure that they've recovered and they've fattened up and or um, through that stressful process, recovered from that stressful process. <laughs> Kayla's Aquatics and Exotics throwing down what I call 
the male version of Pippi Longstocking. We call this Pepe Longstocking. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. I appreciate it. Woo! And that what a generous super chat. Thank you, Bob. I really appreciate that. Thanks for your generosity. Again, I feel like I should be paying you. Um, so not only are you helping us mod, volunteering your time and all that, but you're throwing cash on top of it. Thanks to the Godfather. I appreciate you. Okay. Um, Doug Nip. Do you ever carry cigar fish, pencil fish? What is a cigar fish? I'm going to take a look-see here. I've heard that term before, but I've forgotten what it is. Oh, if I would click on the right... I was like trying to type get my mouse over on the uh, display window instead of the on, on the camera display window instead of the actual internet site here cigar fish I've heard of this before okay let's see what this is oh no um I know what I know what you're talking about. So these whole group, um, the pomus, the pomus, is that the genus? No, that's sunfish. Um, what is that group? Um, oh, I have camera brain. There's this whole group of fish like that from South America, and almost all of them are quite aggressive. Um, anytime you talk to anyone that's kept them or read articles about them or anything, they all agree that they're just jerks. So I tend to avoid fish like that because I don't want to cause a problem in my customer base where someone has this nice display tank, it's beautiful, all the fish are getting along great, they don't realize that the fish could be a jerk, they buy it, they put it in their tank and it just tears everything to shreds, right? I don't want that experience. Oh, what is that genus down there? There's a whole bunch of fish down there like that. Um, and I believe that this is one of those aggressive fish. Leptolebius? Nope, that's a... Isn't Leptolebius... That's gotta... No, that's 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 a killie fish. Oh, what are they called? Oh, that's gonna kill me. Um, anyway. Cigar fish. Let's see, though. Let's see. Um, Anastomus... Let's just see what Simply Fish has to say about this one. Oops. Nah, I, I we'd have to go on a long field trip and stuff. Um, if that ends up being, Doug, that that is a peaceful fish, then yes, I'd love to get it in. There's one or two of that, that kind of fish. Oh, I'm going to remember it as soon as the stream's done, what that genus is called. They're like an aggressive headstander. A lot of them get really big. One of the species, I believe, is Fasciatus or Sex Fasciatus. Um, eek. Can't remember. <laughs> but if, if that's one of the peaceful ones, um, then I would be interested. But most of them are just jerks. But And, and a lot of them get big, too. I'm sure someone in the chat know what I'm talking about. Leporanus, thank you. Yes. Thank you, Dragon Lair. Leporinus. Here we go. This is what I was trying to remember. Thank goodness for smart people in this community. The, 
man, camera brain's real, I'm telling you. <laughs> Just a sec, I'm scrolling here. Um, okay, so these, this is what I'm talking about, Leperinus. So this whole group of fish, beautiful. I've always been drawn to them, um, but they tend to get large. This is what I'm trying to get. I am trying to get the strawberry form, um, just because it's super cool. But uh, they tend to get large and just be jerks. And I believe that that cigar fish is kind of in that, that group, um, attitude-wise. Yeah, I, I try to just avoid most things that will cause problems for the customers. Or, you know, if I keep them in a tank and they'll just trash each other, if I keep them with other like fish that are likely to be a problem, I just try to avoid. Bunny Viper, hi! Hey, good to see you, Bunny Viper. I hope you're doing well. Nice to hear from you. Were you aware I've emptied 11 to 12 of your tanks over time? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Bunny Viper, a.k.a. Tank Emptier. An empty tank is a beautiful thing. Oh, the possibilities. It's still enjoying this stream after all these years. You're the best. Hey, thanks, Bunny Viper. And yes, um, Bunny Viper often will be like, hey, there's only two of those left and clear them out. Then the tank's clear and I can get something else in there. So I do appreciate that very much. Can you please explain buffering in a simplified manner? I'd like a better way to explain it to my mom. Okay, so you have acid which is going to lower your pH right okay how how can I do this okay let's say what's the best way I, I know what I want to say I'm trying to think of a, like a, a good way to say it ah I know the way let's say you're at a dance and uh, and you've got it's you're watching like a, a I don't know, you're chaperoning a, a high school homecoming dance or something, right? And you've got, um, just forgive me everyone real quick, just for the sake of simplicity in this example, we're gonna be binary in our gender choices for this example, okay? Let's say that you have boys and girls at this dance. And there are more boys than girls, okay? Well, if they all pair off, you're gonna have some boys left over, right? Now, let's say that the boys are buffering. There's some kind of calcium carbonate or alkalinity. Let's call it the boys are buffering capacity and the girls are acid. Oh, now I'm gonna get in trouble. <laughs> I'm, I'm not calling girls acid. I'm not, I'm not making a value judgment here. I'm just trying to explain buffering. To say the boys can get in so much trouble. The boys are buffering, the girls are acid. Well, if there's more boys than girls, then by the time they pair off, you're going to be left with some buffering, which will make your pH high, will make your pH alkaline, because you had more buffering capacity than you had acid to eat up the buffering capacity, right? If you have more girls than boys, then they all pair off and you have girls left over, then you're going to have a lower pH, you're going to have acid because all the buffering capacity has been taken up by the acid and there's acid remaining. So what acid does, let's say you have a molecule of buffer and a molecule of acid in your tank. They will bond together and that removes the acid from the system. Okay, the, the, the buffering molecule will remove the acid, it'll bond to the buffer and removes the acid. If you go through all that process and you had more 
acid molecules, then you had buffering molecules, let's say, then you end up with acidic water at the end of that process. If you have more buffering molecules, then you had acidic molecules to begin that process. Then by the time all that has happened, you're left with buffer at the end, your water is alkaline. So I hope that explained it. I hope I didn't offend anyone. I, it's probably a better way to explain that, but I was just trying to make it clear. <laughs> Aaron pairs off, whoever's the, whoever's the third wheel, if they're acid, the water's acid. If they're buffer, the water's alkaline. <laughs> S&T Aquatics, 20 black ruby barbs. Yeah, all right, all right. So Forrest was correct, black ruby barbs. Curl Kitty punching me in the face with a fox cat, stepping in for Chattanooga Ed. <laughs> Thanks, Curl Kitty, I appreciate it. I don't see a comment or anything. I think Curl Kitty just wanted to punch me in the face, probably for calling girls acid. Um, <laughs> well deserved. Leo 209 Aquatics, what food do they like most that you feed? I heard they only like frozen or live food. Leo, I have forgotten what fish we're talking about. Uh, would you remind me? If we're talking about rainbow shiners, they'll eat anything. I mean, any fish prefers live or frozen food. I mean, when it comes down to it, if you have pellets and flakes and live and frozen, they're going to start with the live, then they'll eat the frozen, then they'll move on to the pre you know processed stuff. So it's, it's a fairly true statement that any fish prefers live prefers live or frozen but um lots of fish will eat more than that and if we're talking about rainbow shiners that's true if we're talking about the black tiger darios that's true live or frozen <laughs> try switching off the video and make this a podcast yeah we tried that last week didn't work so well must be yeah so i did double check that the battery was 100 percent charged before we went live today i i think that i must just have not had the connect the the charger plugged in all the way or something last week. Mike Stambaugh, do you have, have you ever had a chance to bring in Corydora's uh, Hephaestus? I don't think so. Let me see. So I'll take a quick field trip to find out which one Corydora's Hephaestus is. I don't think I've ever seen this one in the flesh. Uh, maybe it's on the list, but it's not one I've ever brought in and not one I've ever ever seen. Reminds me a lot of a con color. No, I have not uh, not brought that fish in. Let's see here. Here we go. I can shut that without closing the stream. Good. And we're back. ST Aquatics water source is the Chattanooga Chattahoochee River. What a great name. Chattahoochee River. Sounds like a jazz joint. Come out of the tap at 7, but we'll crash after a few days. But the fish seem to like it. Just thought I'm, it might be best to leave it alone. So, ST, I bet you if you took some of that tap water, uh, put it in a little container with an air stone and nothing else, just get water from the tap, put it in a jar or something, and bubble it, and check it in a day, it will have dropped pH. The reason is municipalities do not like acidic water in their systems because it can corrode their pipes. It can eat through their pipes. Um, so often they will take, if your water is soft and acidic, they'll buffer it up. They'll, well, they won't buffer it. They'll change it to an alkaline pH, but it won't be buffered enough that it's stable. So it's buffered long enough to clear the pipes and then it will crash. The pH will crash. 
So this is very common in municipalities when they're trying to battle acidic water. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if what's happening is they're altering the water to be a more alkaline pH so it doesn't corrode the pipes, but it's not sufficient that it keeps that higher pH. And after a little time, as the water comes out of the tap, it'll stabilize and the pH will drop. Stephen Fletcher, so I had long fin lemon blue eye bristlenose plecos. That's a mouthful. Long fin lemon blue eye bristle nose. That's seven words more or less. That apparently hit sexual maturity and had surprise babies. Anyway, what's your feeding regime for them? That reminds me of one of my favorite songs. This is by Damien Rice. It's called Accidental Babies. Um, so baby bushy nose plecos, fortunately, are really easy. They'll eat anything the parents will eat. So any food that's on the bottom um, that doesn't decompose immediately, like algae wafers, uh, carnivore wafers, zucchini's great. Coin a zucchini. Take a zucchini coin, stick it on a fork, and drop it in there. They'll eat that. You kind of want to keep food in front of them all the time. Um, but they, they don't need, like, baby brine shrimp or anything like that. They'll rasp anything that's down there. So they're actually quite easy. Is there a way to get rid of the little nerite snails without harming my fish? Um, I don't know jays, bee snails, and fish. Um, I haven't had to battle that, so I do not know. Now, if you have actual nerites, I know they can lay eggs, but I didn't think the eggs hatched. Is it that they hatch, but then they die off quickly because they aren't in salt water? Anyway, I don't know that much about nerites. Doug, what do you ever carry striped uh, anastomus, anastomus cigar, oh, c the cigar fish? We already talked about that one. If they're peaceful, then I would, I would definitely consider it. Salty potatoes, so much better than non-salted potatoes. So, there's a bunch of leaf litter, which would probably be good hiding spots. The quarries are also kept with chili raspberries, and the tank is right by my room's entrance and away from windows. Yeah, the leaf litter would be a good hiding spot. And they're with chili raspberries. I don't know, salty potatoes, and you've had them for a month or two. Okay, the, the other thing you can do is increase the size of the school of quarries. So maybe you just need more... I think we're talking about the Corridors, is it Habrosis? Or was it Hastatus? Anyway, um, I think it might be a good option to increase the number of quarries. Um, quarries really do like to be in big groups. I forget how many you had in there, but if you can get more in there, that could help. Ira Nelson, one more question and I'll quit for the stream. Uh-huh, famous last words, Ira. <laughs> Any tips on catching my hillstream loaches, aka tiny speed freaks, without stressing them so bad? The two I have are extremely fast. Yes, so hillstream loaches are not only fast, but they're also, they have a powerful suction, right? They can adhere to the glass really well. And trying to get them off the glass, you can injure them. So what we do is we take a bunch of, like, pipes, and we'll take... We'll cut a bunch of pipes into like a, I don't know, two to three inch long lengths. Take 10 of those little lengths, stack them up on each other and like put a rubber band around them or a twisty tie or something and then put a rock on the rubber band or the twisty tie so it sinks to the bottom. 
they will learn to go in those little pipes and hang out. And then you can take your net and you scoop up the ball of pipes and the hillstream loaches are in there and then you take the pipes out and they fall down into the net. Or you can take a piece of like PVC. Um, we like the, the, like the three inch PVC. Um, cut it to the height of your water column basically. Put it into your tank. Well, a little lower than that. You want water flowing in and out of it. But put it in your tank upright, especially if you've like grown some algae on it first put it in there, they'll soon start exploring that and, and making their way up and down the sides of that PVC pipe. And you can kind of slowly go in, lift up the pipe, put your net under it, and lift the whole thing up and they'll come out. I try to avoid trying to catch them off the glass anytime I can. AZ Moose, I just got a group of Amazon puffers yesterday. They came in amazing and are doing great. Question, what are you feeding? Were you feeding them the Rapashi oyster shell blend? Yes. Um, but not, that's not all. So we're feeding them a mix. We feed them mysis shrimp. We feed them um, bloodworms. We feed them live scuds. We feed them crushed snails. And crushed is important. Um, Amazon puffers don't do well with uncrushed snails. They have a hard time getting through the shell. Um, they just don't have that big of a mouth. And rapashi. So we rotate through all of those. We give them a variety. Um, the rapashi, we give... Uh, I don't know, once every couple days or so. It varies. Sometimes it's every day. Um, but we tend to feed our Amazon puffers like three times a day, two to three times a day. So sometimes one feeding's rapashi, and then the next feeding's bloodworms, and the next feeding is, I don't know, scuds. Um, or, you know, you can do it every other day too or so. But it works really well. Um, for those that are wondering what we're talking about, to help keep puffers' teeth trimmed down, one thing that I like to do is make a batch of rapashi and mix crushed, crushed oyster shell in it. They sell crushed oyster shell at like farm supply and livestock supply places because they feed it to chickens. And you can get that for super cheap, mix it into your uh, rapashi, and when it cools, you'll have this lump of rapashi with a bunch of oyster shells embedded in it. If you break some of that off and put it in the puffer tank, then they'll go and they eat the rapashi. And while they're doing that, they're crunching on the oyster shells that are embedded within it, and they're ingesting some of it too. Um, I, I know that because when we go to ship the fish and we, we clean the poop out of the fish before we ship it, um, you'll get oyster shells in the bag that they've pooped out, right? So um, it works really well. It's a way to keep their beak worn down without having to have an endless supply of snails or hard objects, right? Hard critters for them to eat. So AZ Moose, I'm glad you got them. I'm glad they're doing well. And uh, may they remain fat and sassy for years to come. We only have three minutes. Woo, today flew by. Um, we're going to do the giveaway. Here we go. This is for four, count them, four L2 Plecos. That's the Tiger Pleco. These guys... I just, I just love the pictures Aquarium Glass here took of them. I love those little, like, hairy-looking spikes. The odontas? Odontotas? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I never say it right. Anyway, those and the other items that have been given away during the month of May were provided by the Iowa Aquatic... Um, oh, people are liking Dan's Fish. Nice to see. Iowa Aquatic Hobbyist Facebook group. Um, all this month. So they've been very generous. Thank you to the IO Aquatic Hobbyist Facebook group for providing all the giveaways and finishing strong with a group of four fancy plecos. These plecos are only going to get about four inches. They're not going to be tank busters. 
neat little uh, fancy Plinko type. So, the winner of this last giveaway for the month of May is Guppy Barn Aquatics. <laughs> That's too good because Buppy, Buppy, Buppy Garn, <laughs> Buppy Garn Aquatics, Guppy Barn Aquatics. Is this water? What's going on here? Was uh, nice enough to donate uh, a massive food smorgasbord collection to uh, the giveaway a couple weeks ago. So I'm, I'm thrilled that you won. Anyway, Guppy Barn Aquatics, you have uh, two minutes to chime in. Let us know that you're here because you do need to be present to win. We'll check in a couple minutes, and if you're not here, we'll we'll pick someone else. Greg Gal, what do you think about guppies in a summer tub? I like them, especially if they're the, any of the guppies that um, are iridescent on the top, like blue turquoise. Or There's a lot of kinds of guppies that have been developed, and from the top down, they look pretty good. There's a lot of other guppies, though, that from the top down, you can't see them very well. So just make sure it's one of the ones that the dorsal surface is nice and brightly colored. Some of them are like neon looking down from the top. Blue turquoise are amazing in a tub. All right, chat jumped. I was looking at, I was about to read Mitchell Broom's um, comment. Oh, chat jumped big time. Hang on. Oh man, I don't know, Mitchell. I'm, I'm gonna like, pardon me while I close out the live stream just by scrolling for two minutes. I can't see it, it cut me off. Um, okay. Did we chime in? All right, Gubby Barn Aquatics is here. I figured you would be. Um, if you would send us an email, Gubby Barn Aquatics, hello at dancefish.com, H-E-L-L-O at dancefish.com, then uh, we'll get you in touch with iAquatic Hobbyist Facebook group and, and get this all sorted out. Although you're a member of that group and part of the giveaway and you know better than I do <laughs> what's going on there. But... Uh, just to be official, uh, you know, send us that email and we'll we'll get that rolling. Uh, and congrats, that's pretty awesome. We have a couple amazing giveaways coming up the next couple weeks, and uh, might be doing some. Uh, someone reach out tonight too, so might keep that ball rolling. One last question I'm gonna hit before I close out. Someone said that their kid wants to know. Um, how many tanks we'll have in the new warehouse? Um, uh, easily 508 aquariums. Um, some of them are 40-gallon breeders, and some are 75-gallon tanks. Um, and then we'll see how we feel after that. Um, but we can we can do that. Um, there's other space in there that it's possible we might get more aquariums in, but I, I have a feeling we'll need those spaces for uh, workplaces, work tables, um, storing fish between the time they're pulled and the time they're uh, sealed up and bagged and, and boxed and all that. Um, so, but but I think we'll get 508 in there pretty easily. We're going to start with 468. I think after that we'll probably expand to 508. And after that we probably won't get any more in that space. We'll, we'll probably build... Uh, phase two of that project and then at that point we'll, we'll probably have over a thousand tanks um, so this is the the warehouse that we build is is phase one if you look at it it literally looks like half a building 
And the reason is, is because phase two is just doubling that, actually a little more than doubling that capacity. So uh, we're just getting started. <laughs> Mikey M. So what I got from this is that girls eat boys. <laughs> I, I did my best. <laughs> Bonus points on the taboo game for getting through that explanation without using the word neutralize. <laughs> yeah, we use the word eat instead. Oh, I'm going to have to read those comments later. I bet there's some funny ones in there. And uh, again, I was just trying to explain it in a way that wasn't actually talking about chemicals. So hopefully, hopefully I did that without offending anybody. Um, anyway, with that, we're going to close this out. Um, Punchy Paints uh, may be going after us. Uh, if so, check out Punchy Paints for more fishy talk and art. Um, okay, I got to regroup. I, I got silly camera brain going on. Here we go. All right, thanks to my mods for being here and doing what they do every week. I really appreciate each and every one of you, and I mean that sincerely. Um, thanks to everyone that threw money at us. Super chats are always appreciated. Never required, but it does make my wife super happy when money falls out of a live stream and lands in our laps. So, so thank you. Um, everyone watching the replay, I get it. Can't be here live all the time. Thanks for being here. Everyone lurking, hail the lurker nation. Um, everyone that left a question or comment or answered a question or comment and, and helped someone out that I couldn't help out, then uh, thanks. Thanks for making this interactive and, and lively. Um, everyone listening on the podcast, thanks for listening. And thanks to Michael Mellier for making the podcast possible. With that, we'll be back same bat time, same bat channel next week. Until then, I hope you have a good one. Bye-bye.